tried to clean up a mess and made it worse. Maybe it's um, a stain in clothing that you use the wrong stuff to clean it with and it deepens the stain. Or maybe you're changing the oil in your car and you spill the dirty oil on the garage floor and then you try to clean it up with just water and it spreads. Nobody would ever do that. Or maybe more difficult is when you try to fix a relationship problem and it gets worse. Those are not fun. Well, this has something to do with what we're talking about today from Romans chapter 7 as we continue to work through the book of Romans. Um, in Romans chapter 6, where we were last week, we, we saw Paul mentions that sin won't dominate our lives because we are not under law but under grace. If you're in Christ, you're not under law, but you're under grace, and so sin won't dominate us. And then in verse 15 of chapter 6, he asks, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? So the fact we're not under, under the law, does that mean that we just go ahead and sin? Because we don't have the law to keep us in check. And his answer to that was, no way, Jose. That is in the original Greek. Because in Christ we have been set free from sin and are no longer its slaves. And because of that, we've become slaves of righteousness and of God. And this results in a life of increasing holiness, which results in eternal life because of God's grace working through the whole process. And that's good news. Now, in chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, will be this morning, uh, Paul explains further why being under law not only doesn't free us from sin, but makes sin worse. Rather, we need to be released from the law to produce good fruit for God. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and see why. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? This is Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may, we may, may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Father, we ask for your help in seeing the truth of Christ in this section of Scripture. Grant me strength and clarity. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us. Protect us from error. Reveal to us the goodness and, and glory of Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul says in verse 1, you should know this, um, you know the law. So some of the uh, believers were no doubt Jewish background believers. They came out of Judaism and they had come to Christ. Uh, some had probably been Jewish proselytes. They were Gentiles who had come to, to the Jewish Judaism. 
and then come to Christ. And some of them probably had just learned the Old Testament like you have uh, through being a Christian and being in the Old Testament. So he says you should know the law and what it says. And so what he's focusing in on is the law is binding on, on a person only as long as he lives. The law was given for this life, so once you die, you're no longer under the law. So a pretty straightforward point that he's making. Um, the, the law only has authority over a man while he lives. And in verses 2 and 3, Paul illustrates this, and so that's this interesting illustration he gives us for to, to give further um, working out what a, an example of what he's talking about. In verse 2, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if he dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Pretty straightforward. And then in verse 3, Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. So if the married woman lives with, or literally if she belongs to another man while her husband is alive, she will be called an adulteress. But if the woman's husband dies, she is free from the marriage law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So if your husband is alive, if your spouse is alive, you're married to him. If they die, then you're free to, to, to be married to someone else and not be committing adultery. So what's Paul's point? Verse 4. Likewise, you, are, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So likewise, as in the illustration of the married woman whose husband dies, and so she is free from the marriage law to belong to another, so with you in relation to the law. You have died to the law, he says. If, um, or you have been made to die through the law. What does it mean to to have died to the law, and why should that be a good thing? That is what Paul will be addressing as we work through the rest of this passage. Uh, what we've seen in chapters 2 and 3, and really he, he's addressing the problems with the law in every section, has been that the law only condemns us. The law can't justify us. We can't be counter-right in God's sight by trying to keep the law. And it, it only points out our sin. And so it, it shows that we're guilty as charged. All people are guilty and accountable to God and all liable to condemnation under the law. So how do we die to the law? If I'm just condemned by it, what do I do to get out from under that? He says it's through the body of Christ. And what we've seen uh, is, especially in chapter 6, Christ suffered and died in his body for our sins. And uh, Christ in his death took the punishment our sins deserve so that we will not pay the eternal penalty of eternal judgment, eternal death. So we died to the law by being united with Christ in his death. When we came to faith in Christ, we were united with him in his death, received the benefit of his death for us as he paid the law's penalty. So Christ frees us from condemnation under the law. And we, we died to the condemnation of the law so that we may belong to Christ. So that literally we, we would be married to Christ. That I think the King James actually translates it that way. We have been united to Christ who has been raised from the dead in his body. So he, was, he took on a human body and he was raised from the dead in a body. And this was in order that we may bear fruit for God. That means that if we didn't die to the law so that we could belong to Christ in his resurrection power, we couldn't bear fruit for God. It's a good season for fresh fruit. Don't you love fresh fruit? Like great red ripe strawberries, grapes, 
blueberries, crisp apples, not not soggy ones, not rotten ones, um, watermelon, raspberries, fresh fruit is great. What what is this fruit for God? What fruit does God find really delicious? What what makes his mouth water? Well, in uh, chapter 6, just a few verses back in verse 22, Paul said, Now that we have been set free from sin, the fruit we get, so we get fruit by having new life in Christ. What is that fruit? The fruit we get leads to sanctification, which is a big word for increasing holiness, growing and being like Jesus. Of course we do, since we belong to him. We're united to him, so he, he rubs off on us. The fruit of the character of Jesus is the fruit that God loves. And then in verse 6 of this chapter, he says, uh, Paul talks about the fact that this new life we have in Christ is by the Spirit. So the fruit of the character of Christ that we bear for God is produced by the Spirit. And we read about that in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's great fruit. Now, as delightful and delicious and nutritious as good fruit is, so rotten fruit is really nasty. It's gross. It can be dangerous because it gets filled with bacteria. So um, that takes us to verse 5, where Paul says, For while we were in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. For here is more the reason we had to die to the law if we were to bear fruit for God. While we were living in the flesh, or just when we were in the flesh, what does Paul mean by when we were in the flesh? What's, it, what's he talking about there? He's not talking about just our bodies, our fleshly bodies. In this context, our being in the flesh is who we were in Adam. Spiritually dead, alienated from God, this flesh manifests itself in our inclination to sin. So the flesh is our inclination to sin and the sinful habits that become ingrained, stuck in us. So at least in part, the flesh is our sin-dominated humanness. The flesh is our sin-dominated humanness. But at the root of the flesh's inclination to sin is an orientation to live life independent of God. Or in other words, to live autonomously from God. There's your vocabulary word for the day. Autonomous. You know what autonomous means. Auto means self. Nam is the word for law. So it's self-law. I rule myself. I, I'm, I don't want God's law ruling my life. I want my law. I want to set the laws for my life. So independence from God is really at the root of, of the problem with, of being in the flesh. We've inherited this from our first parents, Adam and Eve when they chose to disobey God so they would be like God in their minds, um, determining good and evil for themselves. The flesh, then, is our fallen mindset to make life work apart from God, to set our own agenda. Or another way to say it is the flesh is everything aside from God in which one places his or her final or ultimate trust. Whatever you trust in more than God, that's the flesh. That's your trying to make life work apart from God. 
Or like Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's just entrenched against God and entrenched against God's holy standards. Some people may say, well, I'm not hostile to God. I mean, I don't think about God. I'm not hostile to Him. Think about that. If um, imagine saying that to your spouse when he or she complains about problems in your marriage. I'm not hostile to you, honey. I don't even think about you. It probably wouldn't get you very far in reconciling anything. So um, hostility in the relationship is not only expressed in angry, abusive ways. It can be expressed in ignoring and indifference. At the heart of marriage troubles is a lack of love and trust. So it is in our flesh toward God. When we were in the flesh, the root of our opposition to God was not that we were just that we were sinning against Him, but that we did not love Him or we did not trust Him. We didn't depend upon Him and seek Him as our highest joy and our highest treasure. So without God as our first love and deepest trust and being alienated from His holy life-giving power, our desires, which were meant to be good, became warped and corrupt. So we did not delight in God's will or in His ways. In the law, then, God reveals His perfect will and ways. The result was that when we were in the flesh, our sinful passions, rather than being restrained and stopped and transformed by the law, were aroused by the law and were at work in our members, that is, our bodily capacities, our human capacities, to bear fruit for death. Since the orientation of our flesh is opposed to God's law, the law acted like kindling to our sinful passions. So rather than resulting in bearing fruit for God, the law's interaction with our sinful passions bore fruit for death. It did not produce in us righteousness that produced the fruit of sanctification, leading to eternal life. Immune system disorders. Immune system disorders cause abnormally low activity or overactivity of the immune system. So in the case of immune system overactivity, the body attacks and damages its own tissues, its own health. In immune deficiency, diseases decrease the body's ability to fight invaders, causing vulnerability to infections. The law, due to the power of sin in our flesh, actually weakens our defenses and, and turns our spiritual immune systems to attack and damage our spiritual health. Stirring sinful passions, producing eternal death, not eternal life. The law, therefore, aids and abets sin. It becomes a power for making us captives to sin rather than freeing us from it. Well, so what's the hope in all that? Well, verse 6, but now we are released from the law. But now, now that Christ has come and died and was raised to take sin's penalty for us and defeat sin's power over us and in us, when we were united to him by faith, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive by the redemption payment 
of Christ's death and the righteous given, righteousness giving power of his resurrection, we have been freed from the law which led us, which held us captive to sin. We've been released from the law so that we could belong to Christ, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. We were released from the law so that we could serve the Lord. The law kept us bound to serving sin and self and to serving our own agenda, not God's. And we were created to serve the Lord and others. And so our highest joy and our highest delight and our highest purpose is to be servants. And if you get that, that brings joy to your life. There's nothing, no, no people more joyful than those who are serving the Lord and serving other people. No more miserable people than those who are just serving themselves, serving sin. So now we serve in the new way of the Spirit, producing fruit for God, glorifying Him. The old written code uh, is the law under the old covenant before Christ completed His redeeming work and made it available through the Holy Spirit. The law by itself could not give the ability to do what it required. That was the problem. The, the law is good. And Paul will say that again in several times remaining in Romans chapter 7. The problem was not in the law. The problem was in us. But the, but the, the thing the law couldn't do is it couldn't uh, grant to us the ability to keep it. It couldn't inject into us a heart for it. This doesn't mean the law has no place in the Christian's life. The new way of the Spirit is the fulfillment of the new covenant. Under the new covenant, the Spirit gives the ability to obey the law from our hearts. 600 years before Jesus fulfilled the new covenant, God promised Israel he would replace the covenant they broke with a new one. Greg read that text for us, and, and it's not on the screen, but I'll, I'll read it again so you can get the gist of what God was doing with the new covenant that he made with Israel after they, for centuries, had disobeyed him and they had to go into exile into uh, Babylon. But he promises them, Behold, this is Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of, Je of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. So God liberated them from Egypt. He, he took them by the hand. He led them. He was a husband to them. And that wasn't enough to keep them from sinning and breaking his law. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In the new covenant, God would put his law in the hearts of his people. And not only that, they would, he would cause them to know him. This is the key upgrade under the new covenant, a new living relationship with God. One of trust and dependence. This is what Paul is talking about in, in verse 4 where he says, You died to the law that you may belong to him who has been raised from the dead. And back in verse 17 of chapter 6, he talked about, Thanks be to God that you became obedient to the heart, God gave you a new heart of obedience to his word. The old covenant, the old way of the law of Moses, provided the way for God's people to obey him and, and enjoy his blessings, but it was meant to be fulfilled in Christ because ultimately only Jesus 
The Messiah could fulfill the law perfectly. Only he could conquer sin and death and provide the power of these blessings through the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Ezekiel 36, uh, Ezekiel also talks about this new covenant, and he says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So if we are in Christ, um, we are released from the law, having died to, to, to it as that which held us captive to the sinful desires of the flesh. We are no longer wholly defined by the flesh, which is inclined to sin and living independently from God. That's because we serve God in the new way of the Spirit, who empowers and enables us to love God in His ways rather than in the old way of the written code. So serving God should be easy, right? Overcoming sin, no problem. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. How are we doing so far? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is it working? It's just budding out and ripening all over the place, isn't it? Actually, um, my growth has been slow, inconsistent, often difficult. Why? Why am I so unholy? You say, yeah, I want to know. What's going on? What's up with you? Because even though we are no longer only in the flesh, there are still remnants of the flesh in us, and it's still pretty potent stuff. Potent enough that we are a battlefield between flesh and spirit. This is another one of those already not yet things. Already we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God at work in us to produce fruit. But not yet are we fully done with the flesh. We see that we're a battlefield between flesh and spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 18. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if we walk by the Spirit, literally if we keep in step with the Spirit, if we constantly depend upon the Holy Spirit, we will not be producing the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. The conflict for, for us as believers is not just nor primarily a conflict of my desire to, to sin as opposed to my desire not to sin. Like I got the little angel Gary here and the little devil Gary over here. Do that. Don't, don't do that. Do this. Don't, don't do that. Not so much that. What it is, rather, is a relational conflict between trusting the Spirit with His design to bring about fruit as we walk by the Spirit and trusting in one's own independent desire to find life apart from the Spirit. So my problem is I try to make life work apart from relying on the Holy Spirit. And it may be some of your problem, too. So flesh is our remaining resistance to the empowering, transformational presence of the Holy Spirit. That resistance brings about desires to find life outside of God, which produces the sinful deeds that Paul calls the works of the flesh. 
give some, some examples. Sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, which is really the root issue, substituting false gods for the true God, making gods of things that are not God. Strife, fits of anger, divisions, envy, jealousy, drunkenness, and he says, and things like these. So serving in the new way of the Spirit and walking by the Spirit both express a close, dependent, relational connection with Jesus through the Spirit. Since we were made to die to the law so that we could belong to Christ, that we may bear fruit for God, we cannot rely upon our own moral resolves to do better, to be a better person. We can't treat the Scriptures as if they are a rule book for better living. Just follow these rules, grit it out, Tough it out, grit your teeth. We must see the scriptures as the way to know Christ and his purposes. And not just to know about Christ, but to know him so that we may be transformed into his likeness. And out of that to bear fruit for God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the glory, the beauty, the goodness of Christ, the excellence, the love of Christ. He also leads us to follow Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings and the worth of obeying him when it's painful. As Paul says in a prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, he prays that God may grant us to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So the, the Holy Spirit is constantly trying to drive us into Christ, look to Christ, read about Christ, obey Christ, trust in Christ, seek him, in all kinds of ways. Be, be centered on Jesus. That's what we do when we, when we receive from the Lord's table. That's what we do when we're preaching from God's Word. That's what we do when we come together. We're constantly encouraging one another to, to put our trust in Christ above anything else. You say, well, it sounds like I need to go to, into a monastery. How do I deal with how do I grow in knowing Jesus when my life is full of problems? I got relationship problems. I got financial problems. I got work issues. My work is full of stresses and temptations. I'm having a hard time in all kinds of ways. Just as an earthly marriage is not just one long honeymoon. I mean, mine, mine is, but not everybody has that privilege. Where you don't engage in the stresses and joys of real life together, so it is with Jesus. In the covenant relationship of marriage, we commit to one another in sickness and health, in poverty and wealth. Our, our union in marriage is for growing together in love while raising a family, working and serving others. We continue to affirm and show our love for one another in the trials of life. So we keep trusting in Christ like we do in a marriage, depending on the Holy Spirit, relying upon the Spirit constantly. Christ loved us by dying for us and uniting us to himself through giving us his Spirit. The Spirit continues to conform us, to, confirm to us that we belong to Christ. Through His Spirit, He continues to empower us to bear fruit in every good work in all of life with its normal routines and hardships as well. So let's pray. Father, we trust Your work in our lives to the Holy Spirit. We dare not trust in ourselves. We need more 
focus on Christ, faith in Christ. He is doing a good work in us, Father. It's not, it's not our strength that does it. It's, it's your strength for us. Thank you that by your grace you've united us to Jesus. And no matter how far down we slide away from him, he keeps drawing us back. And I pray, Father, that as we continue in worship this morning and around the Lord's table, that you would draw us more deeply into Jesus through your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.